and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the baby shark to my Billy Sharp. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. A very, very good day to you, Justin Peach. Do you mind if we start things off with a question? Seems to be the thing that we do now on the midweek episodes. I mean, if I say no, you're still going to ask it me anyway, because it's in your routine, it's in your running order. And if I if I say no, you're just going to crack on anyway, because you're the host. You, 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 do, you do what you want to do, Ryan. Good. What connects former Cardiff and current Derby County defender Curtis Nelson, Michael Owen and Danny Dyer? Do they all like trance music? They may very well. I doubt Michael Owen likes trance music. <laughs> Michael Owen at But what rave. I was looking for was they all have family members who have been on Love Island. Curtis Nelson is the brother oh. of Wes Nelson. Michael Owen is the dad of Gemma Owen. Danny Dyer is the dad of Danny Dyer. I don't watch Love Island, so I couldn't tell you if that's a, a fact or not, but... I, I just now I can't get my head out of Michael Owen at a rave with a whistle in his mouth and glow sticks in each hand. He would be so boring at a rave, wouldn't he? He, he won't have a he won't have glow sticks and a whistle in his hands. You know the light up in the dark paint all over his body. He'll just be standing there going, "Well, this is all a bit loud, isn't it?" Yeah, and then telling people that he's only watched six movies in his life, and yes. that he's he's he probably pull a hamstring as well because rave music, I imagine, is quite up, uh, you know, quite high tempo. Yeah, well, I don't think you're wrong there, Justin. <laughs> I, the the movie thing, the the fact that he's only watched six movies in his life <laughs> still blows my mind. It's ridiculous, absolutely to ridiculous. This day. Like, well, like how? I have movie posters behind my head at the moment. I've got two movie posters behind my head. I've got one next to me. I'm obsessed with films. How can you not love cinema? You have to be incredibly boring and have absolutely no soul not to like cinema. Incredible. Apparently he just watched it and he said it's too long. What? He plays football. It's 90 minutes. You could be stood around for 60 minutes without touching the ball, especially as a poacher. So how can you say watching a film is boring? Come on, mm. Michael. Yeah. Well, he, he's not the most uh, charismatic person on earth. I think everyone knows that by this point. May I say how wonderful it is to be talking about club football again, because for me, this international break feels like it's lasted a lifetime. And as far as international breaks go, this is my most despised one. The one that is at the very start of the season. Because mm. it's just like five games into the season, football's getting back up and running and then bang. Here's a pointless friendly and a fairly meaningless qualifier from an England perspective. It is a pointless friendly. I, I thought the England-Scotland game was um, had a bit more to it, but it was literally just a, a friendly, a glorified friendly, as was every other fixture pretty much throughout the last couple of weeks other than the qualifiers. So you are right. It, it is a pointless a pointless week. You may as well just get them all in October and November when you know winter does come, the pitches get chewed up, they need a couple of weeks. It's a natural break. And, and obviously we've gone through a summer of quietness. No. So just having six no. weeks. Justin, I don't want international breaks at all. I hate international breaks so much. I cannot recall the last time I watched an England game that was outside of a major tournament. Ah, you're an armchair fan. I just don't watch him. <laughs> I'm just not that bothered. What, what is the point in watching England thump Gibraltar or something like that? I just don't get, I just don't see the point because 
England, uh, uh, vast majority of the time, cruise through the qualifiers. The friendlies, who 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 wants to watch an international friendly? It's pointless. But you like to hate, you like to moan. So why not watch this friendly and be disappointed at the fact that Gareth Southgate hasn't started every single attacker in his roster because that's what the world wants. Hey, Justin, Justin, I may not watch the games. I can still moan about them. I was freely moaning about <laughs> Jordan about Henderson right. getting a call-up because Jordan Henderson getting a call-up for the most recent in, uh, international games is just ridiculous. He's playing hmm. in a league that's a lower standard than the championship. But Gareth Southgate refuses to call yeah. up championship players. Makes hmm. no sense. Makes no sense. Who would get any England team from the championship though? Ahead of Jordan Henderson, let's say. Um, now you're asking, you've really put me on the spot there. I mean, last season, a good example would have been Ryan Giles because Southgate mm-hmm. was even saying himself that the left-back options at his disposal were not very good. So he Rico made it down to the championship. Rico well, Henry. Yeah, and now Rico Henry be, would be ahead of Ryan Giles, obviously. But, I mean, Ryan Giles was playing out of his skin last season. Gabriel Sara, cat by Brazil. He's got another three, four <laughs> years of citizenship, hasn't he, before he can I'm not sure apply. he has any, you know, great-grandparents who are from well, from St. Albans or something like that. I can't, remember, I can't remember how many days it is, but you can stay, obviously, in the country for a certain amount of time and, and then apply for citizenship. So maybe in four years' time, we could see Gabriel Sara lining up in an England shirt, although maybe by that point he's mm. past his peak. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I mean, when you look at the young talent in the championship right now, Joe Bellingham, Chris Rigg, just some players off the top of my head who I imagine will go on to play for England at some point. Uh, I mean, you talk about players who are in the championship right now, maybe should be playing or oh, closer to the England fold. Taylor Harwood Bellis. I'll keep ringing that doorbell, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Get him in the squad. Jesus, yeah. No, you're not you're gonna you're not gonna It makes more sense that. than Harry Maguire just <laughs> did. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it does, but Harwood Bellis isn't playing top flight football, Harry Maguire is. Neither's Jordan Henderson. Yeah, that's a good point. But technically, and he is actually, the point he is Harry Maguire is not playing top flight football. He's sat on the bench watching top flight football. Yeah, we can we can rumble on about this debate for a, a long old time. We should we should probably talk about championship football. No, because it's not a debate to be had at all. <laughs> Jordan Henderson and Harry Maguire simply should not be in England squad. I will just say the abuse Harry Maguire's been getting, bang out of order. Completely agree with that. But at the same time, I also agree he shouldn't be anywhere near the England squad because it makes an absolute joke of the whole thing hmm. if he is getting called up. Well, I I disagree to some extent. I do think he's why because I think we're short of options and he's got international experience and that goes a long way in international football. I don't want to explain it because it's going to take me ages. For Keo Tomori, who was voted one of the best defenders in Serie A last season, Mm -hmm. yet Maguire's getting called up ahead of him. It makes no sense whatsoever. Anyway, shall we talk about championship (laughs) football? Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we do talk about championship football or not. England and international friendlies and all that bollocks. Um, What we're going to be doing is making our predictions ahead of the weekend. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days. Plenty of news for us to catch up on after uh, our two episodes 
which have just gone out about the transfer window where we didn't talk about any news so we've got to catch up on all the bits that we missed out there then we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end of the show so let's have a look ahead to the weekend and in each preview episode of the second tier Justin and I will each pick a banker a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend as well as an outsider so someone we think is guaranteed to win but is bigger odds or someone we think is going to win but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents we're tracking how we do as the season goes on one point for a correct banker two points for an outsider whoever loses has to do a forfeit which will be a crossfit workout for myself while justin has to do a coach trip from sunderland to plymouth and back the score for the season is 7-4 to myself after sunderland thumped southampton two weeks ago that was my outsider and the only correct prediction by either justin or myself a pretty mad weekend in terms of results mind you so i don't think it was a disgrace that we only got one correct result there Hmm. 7-4 though justin have you already started a plan how are you going to pass the time on that journey from Sunderland to Plymouth? Yeah, I'm going to download Doodle Jump on my, my iPhone and uh, relive oh, my, my glory years as a, as a teenager. Days. Yeah, <laughs> Doodle Jump was a classic, wasn't it? That one where you're running along, jumping over hurdles and collecting coins along the way. What, what was that one called? It was Temple Run, was Temple it? Run, that's the badger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good old days. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm old sure days. that'll pass the time quite easily. Um <laughs> Anyway, Justin, let's see if you can try and claw things back. What is your banker in the championship this weekend? Yeah, this was a really difficult week to to pick a banker. Mm. Um, I've gone with Blackburn to win at home to Middlesbrough. Again, as I say, it's a really difficult week, but I think when you consider both sides are actually pretty decent going forwards in terms of creating chances it's a quite a difficult game to predict this one this one but I think Blackburn are in a slightly better state than Middlesbrough obviously the international break does throw a lot of uncertainty in there because managers get a couple of weeks with their own players and that's going to help matters for both Michael Carrick and John and Yondal Thomason but it comes down to Blackburn impressing me over well over the first five or six games Transecration in games throughout the season so far has, has been pretty good. They've been far more productive when it comes to creating now this season than they were at this time last year. I think that they're missing that finishing touch at the moment. Niall Ennis is injured um, and obviously Ben Brereton Diaz left. He probably would have made a world of difference in that, in that starting eleven, and he would have certainly been putting away some of the chances they have been creating. But for me, they've got a chance to, to write a display against uh, Plymouth, obviously losing 3-0 before the international break. And they're going to cause Borough a lot of issues who have defensive problems of their own. We know this. New signing Telelovic might be coming in. He played an hour in a behind and closed doors friendly. So he could remedy that lack of clinical goal scorer in the final third for Blackburn. So yeah, going for Blackburn to beat Middlesbrough. Yeah, I find Middlesbrough to be a confusing beast. I still maintain they are playing well despite being bottom of the table. They just cannot find the back of the net. And I do think it is only a matter of time before everything clicks and they start getting points on the board. But whether that happens this weekend or not, I'm not sure. It is hard to get encouraged about them meeting pre-season expectations over the quality of that attack. And as far as Blackburn go, I've liked what I've seen of Blackburn so far. They're playing much better than they were last season. We won't bring up last season again. Um, so I can quite feasibly see them beating Middlesbrough here. I think the 3-0 thumping that they took here at the hands of Plymouth just before the international break, was a a scoreline which didn't properly reflect the game, I think. Mm. I think Blackburn were a lot better than oh, 3-0 yeah. suggests. And I think of a lot a lot of this game will depend on whether Borough have packed their shooting boots for that trip across the Pennines. Is it across the Yeah, I think it's across the Pennines. Uh, what was that stat that we released about Senna Dieng as well on, on Twitter about him conceding chances? 
Yeah, so his save percentage is something like 31%, which is uh, not great. Save percentage, for those who don't know, is shots on target, a goalkeeper faces, and goals conceded. So he's only saved 31% of the shots on target so far for Borough. So for a misfiring Blackburn, just get a shot on target, and you've got a 70% chance of scoring, right? Basic maths. Well, Yes, I suppose when you look at it that way. Um, I'm not sure it's a 70% chance because I think Sonny <laughs> Dieng is a better goalkeeper yeah. than that stat suggests, but I don't think he's had a great start, to be fair. But Blackburn can take advantage of it. Like they can take advantage of Middlesbrough's poor defensive uh, units at the moment. Lewis O'Brien coming in might cause you know, that to be not as simple for Blackburn, but um, I, I do think they're in a probably better state than, than Middlesbrough, a more balanced state than Middlesbrough, I think I'll say. Yeah, I think it's hard to disagree with that, Justin. It will help if Emmanuel Latte-Laf has a better game than he did before the international break as well. My banker of the weekend in the championship is Ipswich to win away at Sheffield Wednesday. I seem to pick Ipswich quite a lot in our Oh, what a surprise. But they're by and large doing the business for me, so why not? Four wins from five for Ipswich. They've been one of the most impressive teams in the division so far, arguably the most, and I think they'll do the business again this weekend. Of course... These two got promoted together last season, but as we all know, a lot has changed since last season. Wednesday have had an absolute nightmare summer in terms of managers, recruitment, owner and results so far. In fairness, Wednesday have been getting better. They only lost to Cardiff because of a last minute penalty, which was debatable. They drew with Leeds and possibly even could have won that one. So I don't think this would be as much of a walkover as it probably would have been if this game was played four weeks ago. But ultimately, Ipswich are just a much better side. They've been so efficient so far. The second most goals scored in the league, as well as the second most expected goals. Four. A bit of a concern conceding six in the last two games, but I think that is only a blip. Plus, Wednesday have only scored four so far and have looked organised but toothless, I say. So I can only see this being an Ipswich win. People may say, oh, Ryan Dilk's talking about Ipswich again. They can all fuck off. I'm here to pick a banker. And Kieran McKenna's boys (laughs) are the standout team for me of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, my my other banker would be picking Ryan picking Ipswich uh, because that's a given, isn't it? It it is boring and it is getting to Jay from in between his levels you know where they you know take the piss out of Simon for always talking about Carly it's that sort of link up and association you have now exactly you've nailed that and I think maybe next time when you bring them up I am gonna I am gonna hit you with that because it's gonna come up very soon I imagine but that being said it is really hard to disagree with you I think both teams are just in a completely different world when it comes to expectation quality on the pitch and well, where they're heading, uh, essentially. I do think Sheffield Wednesday are on an upward trajectory in terms of performances, albeit it is a 3% incline. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very small, <laughs> it's a it's very a, small incline. Isn't it's, it? a, it's a curb height level of <laughs> jumping up, isn't it? But as I say, they were terrible in the first four games, but the last two games leading up to the international break has been incrementally, ever so slightly tiny bit better than it was the week before last etc so I am going to take some uh, positivity there but like I said I mean you pointed out Sheffield Wednesday are toothless going forwards might be a good time to play it which consider they conceded six goals in the last two games but you've got to be having a really good day and I think Ipswich are probably going to have a better day than Wednesday in that sense They're, they're more likely to have a better day than Wednesday I think is what I'm trying to say 
My outsider in the championship this weekend is Birmingham to win away at Watford. I was astonished to see as see Watford as the odds-on favourites for this one. I think they deserve to be favourites because of home advantage, but I'm not as strong on them as the bookies are by any means. That's mainly because I'm hugely excited about what's going on at Birmingham City. One of only two sides to be unbeaten after five games, three wins to their name. They've been playing really well. All the new signings have taken to John Eustace's game like a duck to water and simply put Birmingham are flying and they're a team I would not want to be facing right now. Watford have been going through a bit of a sticky patch after thumping QPR in the opening weekend. They look good against Coventry, particularly with the new boy, big Maleta Rajevic up front. He looks like he's more a Valerian Ishmael striker than what they've been using already. And they probably should have won that game against Coventry if they didn't shoot themselves in the foot. So there's a sign, there is signs of promise at Watford. I'm not particularly feeling down on them. I'm just more excited about Birmingham than Watford in the case of this game. So that's why I've gone with Birmingham as my outsider for the weekend. I think this one's impossible to predict. I really like the way both sides are setting up in games at the moment. Birmingham are very practical in the John Eustace and Watford have been defensively brilliant, but lacking that clinical touch. They showed it in Coventry, but they also showed what they shouldn't do defensively. So... There's, you know, you can take positives out of that game, but you can also very much point at the negatives. Um, I, I would fancy. I think if ever there was going to be a draw in this in the league this this weekend, it's going to be this game. I, I find it so hard to predict. But if you're looking at Birmingham, who well, you're looking at a team who are more likely to take the chances, probably be Birmingham. But that being said, have they faced a challenge like Watford yet defensively? Arguably not. So that could shift it in Watford's favour, but. I, I can't not sit on the fence with this one. That's double negative. That's terrible for me. I find it difficult to uh, to remove myself from the fence on this one. Um, I'm not sure I, I'd agree with you on have they faced a threat like Watford yet. I mean, they've faced Leeds so far, Justin. I mean, Plymouth are quite good going forwards, as we've seen so far. So I'd say those teams are, ne- are probably, well, Leeds certainly are. Plymouth mm. possibly are ahead of Watford in terms of their attack. Um but I can see where you're coming from because Watford, uh, they, they're they proving to be a decent side, aren't they? And once Valerian Ishmael has got his team settled, they uh, the results will probably improve. But with that being said, let's go to your outsider, Justin. What have you gone for in the weekend? Yeah, surprised to see West Brom as slight favourites for this one. So I've gone with Bristol City to win at home against West Brom. And like I said, Bristol City have been chipping away at things quite nicely. It's been a nice flow into the season um, the games have been tight which probably works in their favour especially at home especially coming into this game against West Brom uh, but Bristol City so far have been a lot better away from home than they have been at Ashton Gate they've conceded more chances than creating at home which gives the indication that they're yet to really get going so what better way to get the season started on home soil than, than straight after an international break. So I do think it's an important one for Nigel Pearson to kickstart that home form. And if you can kickstart that home form, you can probably kickstart the season, which is not a bad thing considering how steady they've been to the uh, to the campaign so far. Uh, and I think this is about the same time last year that I got carried away with Bristol City, or maybe a couple of weeks different difference. So again, what a better way to start then? Um, or what better way to, 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 to kick off the, the games after the international break than to, than to um, get on the Bristol City into the playoffs hype train. But I think, again, this one difficult to predict. Bristol City are yet to win at home. West Brom are yet to win away. 
but Bristol City, I think have got a little bit more guile about them, especially under Nigel Pearce, and then, then maybe West Brom doing the final third. I do think West Brom have been a tad fortunate so far. And if I'm looking at these two teams and putting them side by side, I think they are at a similar level, really. So I'm not going to disagree with you on this pick, Justin. I just think they're two very mid-table sides. A result either way is entirely plausible. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days, including a new signing at Ipswich Town. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Ipswich have signed ex-Manchester United defender Axel Twanzebe on a one-year deal. The 25-year-old left Old Trafford this summer and had been training with the club a week before joining. I think this could be an unbelievable signing, Justin. I'm a little bit more uh, on the other side of it. He's 25 years old and played less than 100 games in his entire career so far and comes with an injury record that isn't massively forgiving. Okay, you're getting him on a free transfer and a one-year deal, so there's low risk there, but is he going to play more than 25 games this season? History tells me no. I mean, Kieran McKenna has said they need to build him back up and get him back to his best condition. So it could take a bit of time before we see him playing regularly in an Ipswich search, but it could be an unbelievable bit of business. I remember there was a spell two or three years ago when Twanzebe was playing brilliantly for Man United in the Europa League and people were saying he's earned the chance to play more for them in the league. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. However, there's definitely a very good player there. We saw that when he was playing regularly for Villa in their promotion, he he was superb. And now, I will admit he's not had a lot of game time recently. He's only played five games last season, 13 the season before that. So that is a concern. But Ipswich are a very smartly run club. Kieran McKenna knows him well, having worked with him at Man U. And they wouldn't have signed him if they thought he was a lost cause and couldn't get him back to his best. I think... This would have been a brilliant signing for any championship side and even a decent move for some Premier League teams. I think Luton were trying to sign him at one point in the summer and I imagine plenty of other clubs were having a sniff around him as well. Interesting that he's only joined on a one-year deal, but I I completely disagree with you, Justin. I think this is a brilliant bit of business. 
I look at Jack Simpson. Uh, I know it's slightly different because then they're on completely different uh, realms in in terms of quality and output. But Jack Simpson played a limited. I think it went when he joined Cardiff. I questioned it because he played. I think he was something to do some either less than 100 or 150 career games at that point uh, joining Cardiff last season um, and it was a one-year deal or a two-year deal low contract but it's one of those where I go one do you really need him uh, two is he really going to bring more to that defense than than what you've got now I don't think two and yes. Davey will yeah but based on what? what based on what because <laughs> he, he was because he was playing regularly for Man United in Europa League at one point before injuries did catch up with him. He's only 25 That's less than years, 15 years old now. Yeah, but when he got promoted with Villa, when he was still, what, 20s, 21, whatever, he was superb for them then. So there's clearly Four a very talented ago. player in there. So what? He's 25 now. He's 25 and he's played less... He's, I think he's played 90 games in his career so far. I just cannot see this as a as a worthwhile deal. Gary, yeah, fair enough. He's a free transfer and he adds depth to the squad. But is he going to get in ahead of the players that they've got there now? I don't think so. I think the Kieran McKenna factor probably plays a lot in this because I imagine they cross pass at Manchester United. Fair enough. And him knowing him is going to, going to play a big role in maybe getting more out of him. But are there better free agents out there they're probably not but I maybe would have waited till January to get a, a player on loan I just I don't see the point in it I'm baffled that you're thinking that Justin and look and see forward to see how he does maybe injuries will catch up with him but I think you doubting his quality as a player is absolutely bizarre uh, let's move on to the Daily Mail, which is reporting Birmingham boss John Eustace is an early contender to be the new Rangers manager should Mick Beale get sacked after the poor start to the season. So the Scottish side are said to be keen to get in another up-and-coming coach if they do pull the trigger on Beale. Uh, what did you make of this, Justin? I was surprised given that the Beale situation isn't quite working. Why would you then go for another up-and-coming, relatively inexperienced manager in, in John Eustace if the one that you appointed just less than a year ago isn't quite working out logically it makes no sense but then Rangers aren't a, not the best run club in, 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 in the way of managerial decisions Beal wasn't ready for Rangers he was very early on in his managerial career and for me he's fucked it completely by making that decision John Eustace is a smart guy he's a year ahead of Beal in terms of experience I don't think he's quite ready for that type of job just yet. So for me, I would stay put if an approach was made from Rangers because I think you're at Birmingham City where the project is new, it's exciting, um, and you've got a brand new squad to work with. Deliver top half this season, see where your stock is. I think you're better off staying at Birmingham City, John Eustace. Yeah, I think it would be a bad move for Eustace personally. The the appeal of managing Rangers is obvious. You're in charge of a massive club. You've got European football, probably get a big pay rise as well. I won't blame him if he did go. However, the expectations there are gigantic. And it basically comes down to if you don't win the league, you're not far off getting the sack. And it seems like Rangers are quite a way behind Celtic mm. as a football club right now. So the chances of being a success there are currently quite slim, I say, which is why I wouldn't want to trade in being in charge of Birmingham City if I was John Eustace. They've had one of the most incredible transfer windows I can ever recall at this level. And... The new owners are clearly very ambitious. Birmingham Oak Club massively on the up. The project there is hugely exciting. And if you're looking at it from a John Eustace perspective, his stock as a manager is more likely to get to a really high level if he sticks with Birmingham than go to Rangers. 
in my view, mm. just because the chance of being a success at Rangers, I think, is it, it, it's going to be a, a tough, tough job. I, I think if he does go there, so I would say stay. But if the re- but if the interest from Rangers does become genuine, I think he'll probably leave because it's quite rare for football managers to think about the long term picture. Well, exactly, exactly. It's it's you've got a good example about, of that's Mick Beale. <laughs> I was going to say, I was literally about to say Mick Beale is like the prime example of not thinking the next job after the next one, if that makes sense. So thinking after that Rangers job, where can you go after that? Um, and you look at Steven Gerrard, who went to Aston Villa, and it was probably a step too far for him. It's a very unique, very talented set of managers who can go from the top of the SPL into a Premier League role, for example. Ange Postecoglou is a good example of of it um, there are other examples Brendan Rodgers going to Leicester and being a success before getting sacked obviously so there are there are very unique examples but you've got to be a very very good coach to do it so I can only see him going to Rangers and then maybe coming back to a championship I just I wouldn't see it as a step up I'd say I'd say stay at Birmingham do well and then see see what happens next year well according to the Telegraph a familiar face could be the man to replace Eustace if he does indeed go DC United boss Wayne Rooney has been identified as a leading contender with the Birmingham hierarchy keen to make a big name appointment, according to reports. His contract at DC expires in December. Would he be a good replacement, Justin Peach? I don't think he would. <laughs> I don't think he would. I think quite a lot of people say oh, I'm being bitter, but you got to look at this practically. Liam Rossini was the brains behind the side of play at Derby. That's slick. Um, passing football that we've seen clips of um, the goal against Barnsley, for example, that goes around is one of those. And, and Liam Rossini, you can you can tell with his side of football at Hull, was very much the brains behind, you know what uh, what Rooney was trying to achieve. How, at, at how Derby. do you know that though, Justin? How, how do you know that Wayne Rooney was just kind of the figurehead of it all, and Liam Rossini was the man who was actually pulling the strings? How how do you know that? Because there are two types of managers. There are the managers who delegate. Sir Alex Ferguson's. And then there are managers, there are coaches, managers who coach. Liam Rossini is the coach. Rossini, uh, Rooney was the, very much the not the organizer, but the motivator. Harry Redknapp's another example of that. And I think Rooney fits into that old school style because of his time under Sir Alex Ferguson. And as well as that, you can just tell by the way they break down the game in their post-match press conferences and how they talk about the game. Liam Rossini is far more tactile. Um, uh, and the way he, are you he, just saying that though because it's Wayne Rooney and he's a big name who's decided to become a manager because I feel no. like you may be just kind of ca- like pigeonholing him as in the same category as you know Frank Lampard Steven Gerrard those kind of people yeah but you can even look at it the determined success of each uh, of the next role for example Liam Rossini is doing very well at Hull at the moment he's what six seven defeats in 30 odd games his incredible run Wayne Rooney's mid-table MLS side at the moment. I know it's I know different it, kettle of fish. Though. I know it's a different kettle of fish, but again he's not really set the world alight as a manager over there. They finished bottom uh, last season or they think he took over halfway through or whatever. And now they're mid-table in the Eastern Conference. So they're nowhere near of getting into that playoff playoff region. So I look at the success of that and I think not really great. And again I think as well, does he carry that same talismanic aura about him? that he did as a player that he does as a manager I don't think he does and I think the time at Derby probably lends into that if he'd have kept Derby up then maybe I'd have more excitement about it that, um, Justin though that, that was impossible to keep Derby up wasn't it I did it on Football Manager several times well that's <laughs> 
In real life, though, <laughs> that that was impossible to do, wasn't it? He, he did a remarkable job that season. You've got to give him credit for that. Yeah, fantastic. Did a great job. But ultimately, you are judged purely on the end outcome. And unfortunately, Derby got relegated. Uh, it's harsh, but that's football. You're judged on the end outcome. You don't get medals are for... You, though? you are. You don't get medals for fighting against adversity in football. You don't. It was just about impossible to keep Derby up that season. It, it it was. You're absolutely spot on it. And like I said, did a remarkable job of, of fighting it. But there were a lot of factors who worked, that worked against him. The away form was dreadful, for example. Never remedied it. Never, yeah. never No money as well was, was another big factor. A lot of teams ha- probably had lower budgets than Derby that season and still did better. I'm not sure they did because they I had to sell basically everyone. They, they had to sell players, but I think the wage budget was still more than competitive in that division. Now I'm probably being too harsh, but you're you're asking for responses to, um, for, well, for, for a debate, and that's absolutely fine. But I just don't think Rooney's a better replacement, a good replacement for John Eustace. And I think Liam Rossini, without a good coaching team behind him, I don't think he can be a success in in the championship. Well, I'm split because I think it's very hard to judge Rooney as a manager. His first season at Derby was quite poor, nearly getting them relegated. Second season was remarkable because he nearly kept Derby up despite a 21-point deduction. So many corresponding factors have to be considered as well when judging those two seasons. So I don't think anyone can say for sure whether he's a good or bad manager based off that Derby spell. He wouldn't be my first choice to replace Eustace if he does indeed go, but I wouldn't put him down as a bad appointment. I think a lot of people will just look at him and say, oh, it's Wayne Rooney. He's He doesn't need to be a manager. He's just doing it because he's bored or something like that. And I do think he gets unfairly pigeonholed in that sense, in the same category as your Steven Gerrard, your Frank Lampards, etc. At the same time, I will accept that his spell at Derby had a lot of lows as well as a few highs as well. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of the appointment, if that does happen. is only reported at this point, of course. Sunderland Nation is reporting the Black Cats turned down the opportunity to take back Ahmad Diallo this summer. The club decided to wait for him to complete his recovery from injury at Manchester United and will try to do a deal in January. I was hoping Sunderland might sneakily try to sign him on deadline day, even though he is injured. But I suppose it's probably sensible to wait until he's fit, isn't it? The thing is, this report came out last week and now, as I'm sure everyone is aware, Manchester United are without many right wing options for various different reasons. Mm. And if Ahmad Diallo was fit right now, I'd say he's, well, there's probably a very good chance he'd be playing quite a few games for Man U in the next few weeks. So in a way, this injury might be a good thing for Sunderland because it keeps him out of the first team picture at Man U. Having said that, if there was an injury to start with, Sunderland could have signed him in the first place because it didn't seem like he was going to get a game a few weeks ago. So who knows what the picture will look like come January, but I would love to see him back in a Sunderland shirt, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's got this incredible ability to cut in from the left and and take the game by a scruff of the neck, hasn't he? He's, he's you know, fantastic technically. Um, and he was able to, to grow physically into the championship. I think he proved a lot of doubt was wrong last year as well which was which was brilliant and um, yeah it'd be nice to see him back in a championship will it happen I, I, I'd i be surprised I really would but then again Sunderland have pulled so many rabbits out of the hat over the last 12 months recruitment wise they could pull out another in January but uh, if there was a lot of clubs you know, financially in a good position certainly would be would be um, getting in a queue to sign him because he's 
he's got it all technically. He just needs to to carry on growing. The thing is, I'd be agreeing with you. I don't think it would be realistic for Sunderland to get him back because it just doesn't really make sense for him to be playing in the championship. But he seems to genuinely love Sunderland. And I can't recall too many young players who have gone on loan to a club, gone back to their parent club where I've said, right, we're probably going to loan you out again, maybe to a Premier League club. And then the player turns around and says, no, I want to go back to the championship and play for them again. Because he's clearly too good for the championship, Mm. but he doesn't seem to mind playing at this level if he's playing for a club he loves playing for and is enjoying his football. And I think that's really nice to see because it doesn't happen very often, if at all nowadays. So if he does come back in January, that will be a ridiculous marquee move for uh, Sunderland, won't it? Be an absolute game changer as far as they're concerned. Delia Smith is no longer the majority shareholder of Norwich City. It's after American businessman Mark Atanasio increased his ownership stake in the club to achieve parity with her and her husband. The Milwaukee Brewers owner now has a 40% stake in the club, which is the same as Delia. Seems like only a matter of time, really, doesn't it, before Atanasio is the majority owner there, Justin, which I think is good news because he's a very wealthy man, apparently worth around £600 million, and Norwich have needed extra investment for a long time, haven't they? Yeah, it's that opportunity to potentially take Norwich to that next level. No, we're not sort of talking about spending millions and millions and millions, but you're more likely to to write off debt uh, when you've got a lot more money behind you than um, than someone who doesn't have that much money behind them. Um, and as I say, it's a good thing for Norwich. Sadly, Delia Smith doesn't quite have the football wealth needed to to make a club competitive in the Premier League. Not many, not many um, rich people do, which is weird saying it, but they they just don't. You need a lot of money. And to Stuart Webber's credit, credit, the bouncing between the Championship and the Premier League has massed over that resource issue. Um, so, yeah, this this will be a positive step, but certainly sad because Delia Smith has been a brilliant custodian of, uh, of Norwich City. Yeah, and I suppose she's a bit of a joke figure for opposition fans, but Norwich supporters have a lot of respect for her because she's done a lot for the club over the past 25 years or so. So I think she, if she does eventually get edged out of the picture, will have a lot of respect from Norwich fans, won't she? Look, Norwich have needed extra investment because the last three times they've got to the Premier League, their seasons just didn't get going because their pockets weren't deep enough. That and Stuart Webber's recruitment being well off in the case of the last two times. So it's blatantly obvious that they've needed wealthier owners and it's good that it's finally happening. It's a bit sad that it's kind of an end of an era with Mm. Delia uh, going out of the picture and I imagine when she does go quite a few people will be wondering where are you? Um, Preston's mascot the Deepdale Duck is being retired it's because the man who's been in the role for 27 years Simon Nash has decided to retire himself It's because he became ill last year and was unable to attend home matches so stepped away from the role the club say it wouldn't feel right to continue having the Deepdale Duck at matches without Simon so the mascot will be retired completely of course we send our best wishes to Simon but sad news for the Deepdale Duck Justin it got me wondering what's your favourite club mascot of of course apart from Rami at Derby (laughs) Bloody Rami. Uh, I'm going to go with Boilerman at West Brom. I don't think Boilerman is a active figure at the Hawthorns now, but a few years back, yeah, I thought it was an incredible step forward in, in the mascot game. We've all, yeah, we've Animal Kingdom, it's all out there. Every single bird, an owl, swan, swan is a swan, owl is, owl is an owl, for example, but a boiler. Fucking badass, right? It can heat, it can do damage if you don't service it once a year, and it's metal. 
we don't see enough boilers as mascots now or household appliances. <laughs> Imagine if I know Stoke next week rocked up with a, a pot, dishwasher, <laughs> a pot, a big, a big crockery, a big, pot. big piece of crockery. Or vacuum, underrepresented um, house appliance, I think, in, in, in football. You know, it, Henry Hoover somewhere. Incredible. It is a lot funnier, isn't it, when a mascot is an inanimate object. I think it should happen a lot more. Like Krusty the Pie at Wigan, for example. That was superb. Or yeah. that, uh, do you remember that Partick, Partick Thistle, Thistle mascot? Terrifying. Which was, <laughs> which Absolutely like, terrifying. Looked like something out of a child's nightmare. <laughs> It was just like Lisa, awful. Sim- Lisa Simpson, but if you're on a bad trip. <laughs> Lisa Simpson on tons and tons of meth. That's what it looked like. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, please search it out. I also liked Peterborough's mascot. Um, I, I don't know if he's there anymore. He was literally just a man in a top hat and used to just walk mm-hmm. around. The pitch Barry Fry. He, well, it wasn't Barry Fry. Um, <laughs> he would be a good mascot, but it was literally just a man walking around the pitch in a top hat with... You know, one of those big stick things and uh, just saying hi to people is nice. And finally, Billy Sharp is having a nice time in America. He's now scored two goals in four sub-appearances for LA Galaxy. Two goals in 88 minutes. Not bad. Uh, but have you heard the chant the supporters have for him? It's Billy Sharp to the tune of Baby Shark. Oh, dear. I like it. <laughs> Do you actually? I like it, yeah. I actually like it. Not only can he get... It gets one of them gets stuck in your head and then you just walk in, taking a dog for a walk and you just... It, you know, back in your mind to Billy Sharp did it, did it, did it, Billy Sharp did it, did it. You know what I'm I mean? I'm not sure it would take off in a, in England, would it? I'm, I'm not sure. Bar oh, no, you get the piss taken out of you royally. Um, you couldn't get away with it. But fair play, it's it's a unique chant, and that's what football needs. Mm. Not sure I agree. Um, <laughs> it is a bit catchy, though, I will admit that. Not sure that's necessarily a good thing, though. Now it's time for this Scott High or Ryan Low? Best is fucking shit, mate. Billy Shop. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Low. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. There's three questions in total this week. It's Justin's turn to be providing the questions for myself. And I'm ready, Justin. Hit me. Yeah, quite difficult when we've not had a lot of football over the last two weeks. So here we go. <laughs> Promising. Which of these players has the highest goal conversion so far this season? Will Keane. Adam Armstrong, Josh Sargent, or John Swift? Obviously, put them in order. Uh, Armstrong, Swift. Who was the other one? Uh, Will Keane and Josh Sargent. Okay, so my thinking, first of all, is Adam Armstrong, when he got like 28 goals or however many it was for Blackburn last time he was in the championship... He was shooting a lot. Mm-hmm. So I will instantly put him bottom, even though I think, is he top scorer? Is he joint top scorer? Um, so he's bottom for me. I reckon Will Keane might be top, you know. I don't think he's had many shots so far. Mind you, John Swift is a very random one for you to put in there. Is he? So that makes me think that he might be quite high as well. So what I'll do is I'll go John Swift top, Wilkin second, Josh Sargent third, Adam Armstrong last. Even though Armstrong and Sargent are both joint top scorers or around there anyway, that doesn't necessarily translate into shot conversion. So close, one off. You've got Armstrong (laughs) 
and Sergeant the wrong way round. You were right about John Swift. It was that incredibly is so, random. So annoying. Yeah, Swift's got 100% so far. He scored with every single shot he's taken, which is three. Will Keane's got 50%. Adam Armstrong's got 40%. Now, I think a couple of years ago when he was shooting at any opportunity, it was around about 18% by the end of the season. Um, so that might drop off. But Sergeant has 33%. So good effort. Didn't know John Swift had scored three goals from three shots. That's incredible. We'll have to keep an eye on that, Justin, as, uh, this weekend. Yeah. Um, what's the next one? Which of these sides, or rank these sides in order, as to who has created the most chances away from home so far this season? Oh, God. Are they, are they always going to be stats-based, your Scott High or Ryan Like Lowe? I said, it's, because we've not had a lot of football, it's, Does it it's quite to hard to... be a bit more creative, Justin. It's just hard to generate... Um, Hard to generate after two weeks off, you know what I mean? Anyway, your teams are Leeds, Blackburn, Bristol City and Southampton. Um, Leeds, Bristol City was in there, weren't they? They were. Uh, Southampton, who was the other one? Blackburn. Blackburn, okay. Um, well, I will put most chances, you say? Most chances away from home. Ugh, away from home. Have they all played the same amount of games away from home? Probably not. I should have uh, should have picked the teams that I have. Yeah, you really should have checked that, shouldn't you? Um, in that case then, Southampton played three games away from home. So I will go Southampton top, just because they're quite good at creating chances. Um, and then I reckon Leeds might be quite low there. Plus they've only played two away games, so... I am going to put Southampton top, Bristol City second, Blackburn maybe a bit of a false one because in that Watford game, they did not create many chances at all. But I'll put them third and then Leeds bottom. You've got one right. Ah. It's Leeds, you've got right. I'm scoring four against Ipswich, I thought may have swayed it. Incredibly, Bristol City are top. Then Blackburn, okay. then Southampton, then Leeds. Mm. Okay, fair mm. enough. What's the last one? Which of these sitcoms is the longest running? Ooh, it's a good one. It's Always Sunny, Modern Family, Big Bang Theory, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Or rank them, I should say. Rank them in order of the longest running. Okay. Well, I am a big It's Always Sunny fan. That's been going since 2000 and five mid 2000s we'll say modern family's been going for a long time is that still going no it finished a couple of years ago now i think did it okay i reckon that must have started around the same time as it's always sunny i'm not really sure when kirby enthusiasm started what's the other one uh big bang theory Ugh. Mm -hmm. never rated the big bang yeah, theory it's i don't think it don't think it lasted that long either as, as long as the others so i'll put big bang theory bottom kirby enthusiasm Second bottom, Modern Family, second, Always Sunny Top. So you Big Bang Theory bottom, you said? Yes. Uh, that, all completely wrong. Fine. All completely wrong. <laughs> Kirby Enthusiasm has been going for 23 plus years. Yeah, I thought it might have been going a bit longer than I thought. I, wasn't, I just don't know. I 110 know. episodes. Then it's, it's Always Sunny. 
18 mm-hmm. plus years, 155 episodes, 2005, you were right on that. Then Big Bang Theory, 13 years it lasted, 2000, 2007 to 2020. or Too tw- long. Too long. 279 episodes, the most episodes in this list. And then Modern Family, 11 years, 250 episodes. Only 11 years? Only 11 years. Really? Yeah, 2009 oh. it started. I thought it, I thought it started a lot earlier, no. I've got to say. Um, fair enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Scott Hire Ryan. Though this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about all the games which are coming up this week. And big round of games, by the way. South Wales Derby, of course. Southampton v Leicester. That's a bloody big game, isn't it? So we look forward to seeing you then on Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dill. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.